What makes a great leader great? How do we create a high-performing team? And when we say leader, we mean everyone, because everyone is leading their own life. Will yours be a life by design or a life by default? Those are the big questions, and this podcast will answer them. Welcome to the Becoming Your Best podcast, where we help you apply the 12 principles of highly successful leaders, because great leaders will produce great results. All right, welcome back to our Becoming Your Best podcast listeners. This is Rob Schallenberger. Hope you're having a fabulous day or week, wherever you're at in the world. I have a fun and intriguing guest with us today. And just before we jump into our conversation, one reminder, one piece of admin, if you haven't already taken the personal productivity assessment, go to becomingyourbest.com, take the personal productivity assessment, and you get a great baseline on where you're at in several different key areas. So I know I mentioned that recently in another podcast, but just a reminder, admin-wise, becomingyourbest.com, take the free personal productivity assessment, and it'll be pretty fun to see your results on that. All right, so with that out of the way, let's jump in. I have with us Matt Sweetwood, who is the current CEO of LuxNow. And let me just give just a little brief background to him, and then, then we'll jump into the conversation here. Before Matt went to LuxNow, he spent 29 years as the CEO of Unique Photo. And during that time, he took them from 1 million of annualized recurring revenue to over 100 million. Obviously, a huge deal there. He's also the author of Leader of the Pack, a number one bestseller in the self help category. The book tells the story of how he suddenly became a single father to five children, which I want to talk about that, which ultimately made him a better person, better leader, entrepreneur, and as you would hope, (laughs) a parent. So first of all, welcome to the show, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate being here. This will be a fun conversation. You know, him and I were just talking prior to, and I mentioned there's a very wide swath of leaders all over the world uh, who listen to this. And by leader, you know, everyone is leading their own life at a minimum. I mentioned that some people are CEOs, large organizations. Other people are stay-at-home parents. You got employees at every level of organizations, just a really wide swath of people on here. And so I think what Matt has to say will resonate across the board, no matter what you're doing in life right now, where you're at, whatever you're doing. This is why we had Matt on the podcast, because I really felt like it would resonate. So, you know, I mentioned this book, uh, The Leader of the Pack. You wrote this best-selling memoir about your leadership journey, Matt, and how suddenly becoming a single father to your five children made you a better leader. So can you touch on that for our listeners who haven't read the book? And let's just start there because my feeling is this will give a good insight into who you are. Yeah. And, you know, I I think the point you made about, you know, what we're going to talk about appealing to a wide variety is really important. You know, I speak a lot and a lot of times they'll ask me, it actually just happened uh, yesterday. They said, you know, we have an event where we're going to have spouses, not just the business people. And I'm like, yeah, because leadership is really about everything you do in your life. Like you said, some people lead their own lives. And in my case, you know, I was a situation, you go back to the 90s here in the States. I was a father going off to work, bringing home the bacon. Mom was at home taking care of the kids. You know, we had this big family, sort of the American dream, as people would phrase it. And uh, it was really kind of an illusion. And the end result was I ended up being a single father, having to take care of these kids when the mother walked out. You know, I talk about it in the book, Leader of the Pack, and what that happened to me. And I think the ultimate lesson from the book is self-responsibility, is self-reliance. And ultimately, you know, you're responsible. You're responsible for your personal responsibility for getting into these situations or the decisions you make or everything that happens in your life. 
And the book talks about how I sort of got over feeling sorry for myself, got over anger, got over blaming, got over all of these things and learned to lead myself to a more successful place. And once you learn to lead yourself to a more successful place, you're likely to lead other people. And I think, you know, really at the highest level without digging into details yet in the book, that's really what it's about. It's really about the principles of personal responsibility and how you yourself, no matter what happens to you, can do things to to push yourself forward and find positive results. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, I had, when your wife walked out on you, I imagine with five children, that was, there was a lot of emotions that went with that. Of course, everybody listening to this knows someone who's been through something similar. And, and that's a pretty tough thing because, you know, in our mind, we have this, <laughs> like you said, this image and suddenly that image is shattered. So uh, I'd be curious to see what's in the book. What are, what are some of the big things that you touch on in the book? So when that happened, my kids were, I mean, I'm going back now 20 something years ago, but my kids were 18 months still in diapers wow. to eight years old. Huh. I had no clue how to be a parent. The thing that I also talk about in the book is I was 300 pounds. I'm like five foot 10. Huh. I was out of shape. My business was also failing at that time. So I had all of this stuff. I was scared to death. I had no idea how to parent. I was all of a sudden thrust into a crazy divorce trying to save my kids, trying to save myself, save my business. I was scared. I thought I had a jail sentence. Should I run? What should I do? It's that moment, and there were many moments like this, when you realize that you did things to cause this to happen. You know, this is your fault, and there, and which means that you have the ability to fix it. And you just sort of build your way out of it one by one by one. You've, you fix this. You fix that. You find something to be courageous about. You do that, you gain a little bit of courage, your fear goes down and you sort of just keep building and building. And for me, the, the driving force in all of this, and this is a driving force in leadership, is ultimately just wanting something bad enough. And I just wanted to succeed and get out of the situation bad enough. So for me, that really is what propelled me forward. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that, Matt, just from a, I don't know how much you know about becoming your best or the books we've written or anything, but uh, our first book was called Becoming Your Best, The 12 Principles of Highly Successful Leaders. You know, there's these 12 principles that you see over and over in the very best. And number nine is be accountable. And it's amazing how liberating that principle is. And it's something that we all, you know, experience to different degrees at different times in our lives, right? Where we have to face up and own own our circumstances, own the the things that are happening around. And that's not easy to do. That takes a lot of emotional courage to step up and say, you know what? a lot of the reason why that happened was on me. And, you know, I'm just observing here as you're talking, when we do that, it's very empowering for people, isn't it? Because otherwise, what's the alternative? That's well, her the fault. Alternative it's is them. waiting for other people to help you or yeah. the, the government to help you or somebody <laughs> to step in and help you. And it usually doesn't happen. And if it happens, it doesn't really advance your cause. It's a band-aid. Ultimately, you have to fix those things. And I think your phrasing of it being empowering is really brilliant. Because that's what it is. Once you realize that you have responsibility for what happened, you have responsibility to fix it. That's it. You, you, you now have an action plan. You're like, okay, I have to do something. I'm not waiting for something that I have no control over. You sort of gain control. And that's what is empowering about it. And it's fundamental. It's, all successful people take responsibility for what happens in their life. You know, here's, here's probably the easiest, most baseline example that everyone can relate to. Whether it's a spouse or whether it's a coworker or so, someone else, you know, say that person offended us. Well, I'm just going to wait for them to apologize because they owe me an apology. 
<laughs> you know, and that apology may or may not ever come, like you said, versus when we own it and take action, it's us stepping up and saying, you know, what? I'm going to take the high ground here. I'm going to be the one who apologizes if, if necessary or whatever it is. That's not easy to do in a lot of cases. So I, I love that. I'm excited to read your book and, and hear more about that experience. So let's shift gears just a little bit, if that's all right, Matt, because I want to talk about the business side of the equation a little bit and your background there, because you spent almost 30 years as the CEO of a brick and mortar camera store that you took from uh, 1 million annual recurring revenue up to 100 million, I believe. That's right. So let's, let's talk about that. Obviously, that's great growth. That's a big business, especially back in the brick and mortar day. Things have changed now, which, which I want to also talk about. But talk about that experience over the course of 30 years, if you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when you sort of say it like that, I guess the vision you get is this sort of linear, you know, like a like a uh, this is my, I'm bringing out my math background now. It looks like, a you know, a line with a 45 degree slope. You know, it's <laughs> kind of nice, smooth, straight line where you go from one to 100. Right. But it didn't really work like that. And we were only a camera store at the end of the story. The beginning of the story when I walked into the company is we were a B2B business. We were selling here, catch this, see if your audience knows what this is. We were selling film. <laughs> okay. So you can imagine where we are today, right? Because I left that company only a few years ago. They had no film left. So the first thing that happened was our B2B business came under attack. We were selling small stores. We were selling drug stores. We were selling camera stores, one hour labs, things like that. We were selling them film. Now, back in the late 80s, early 90s, when the first sort of storm hit my business, all those little stores started to go away. The, the big drug chains came in and were buying up the drug stores. The, the camera stores were being challenged by the big box stores like then Kmart and Walmart, Target and so on. So we had to pivot our business. We pivoted it to a B2C, B2C model. We started selling photographers. Very successful at that. We became the largest seller of professional photographers in the country. In fact, my company, around the turn of the century, I think we had like a five share. Five percent of the rolls of films sold in the United States went through my company. And then as we went through the 2000s, digital photography came out, and that business went away like so fast. I, I tell this amazing story of being in the CEO's office of the Eastman Kodak Company, and they showed us this very, like, you know, talk about a smooth line. That was supposed to be the smooth line decline of film. Well, it fell off a cliff like in 2008. <laughs> okay, So our five share went into a nothing share. We almost went out of business. All the camera stores in the country, except for a few hundred, 10,000, 1,000, a few hundred, almost went out of business. So we actually pivoted the business and opened the camera store. But I changed the way camera stores were run. And we ended up having one of the most successful stores in the country. And in fact, essentially every camera store that operates today operates off that reinvented model that I created. So it's, oh, my story of going from that one to a hundred is not this sort of linear line where we work harder, we just keep growing, growing. We had areas where we almost fell off a cliff ourselves, and it required continuous reinvention of the business to be successful. And that's something also I talk about when I speak is that if you're in business today, you better be looking to reinvent your business all the time. Well, we see that right now with COVID, you know, sweeping the world. There's two kind of pivots. There's the strategic pivot where an organization well ahead of time goes through strategic planning and, you know, tries to anticipate pivots and plan for them and be the disruptor. And then there's a forced pivot. And a lot of companies right now are in a forced pivot. Look at the education world. You know, do we go back to class? Do we not go back to class? Do we go online or do we not go online? Or take the education again as an example. They're in the spring and suddenly they say, all right, all students go home. And I know all districts didn't do this, but for ours, they did. We're going to do the last two months online. 
holy cow, you know, if you're a teacher and you're the administration and you're trying to pivot and say, well, how do we take all this stuff and do it online? That's a forced pivot. And I think you COVID know, has done that for a lot of organizations right now. You know, if we take the fact that we're in an election year aside and, you know, anything that happens in election year is always about the election. So you have to sort of view that in the school, in the scheme of what you're doing. But education, here's what I would argue with, or I would make the point, is that education was challenged already. As the cost of particularly college education continued to go up and up, you know the generation that's coming down now looks at college differently than, let's say, I did in my generation or my kids did in their, even in their time. My kids are all in their late 20s, early 30s now. So education was people were looking at it and saying, do I need that $250,000 education? So I always view COVID as kind of like it put gave it that last really, really big shove. So I even think now that as we come out of this, because obviously COVID will end, will college be the same? Will people go back as much? I don't think so. I think that this has fundamentally changed college. So if I was, if I had been in a university setting, just having come from businesses that undergo these major cataclysms, you're always wary of this. Probably they should have been looking to change their business model years and years ago as they saw this attitudinal decline or change in the way it looks at business. So I view COVID as another change. So when we come out of this, who knows what's going to happen? Harvard just announced that they're going to have next year's, they've already announced next year's classes are going to be online. They're yep. still charging the same tuition, I might add. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you though, Matt, it's going to forever change things. And that kind of goes back to my comment. You know, it's either a strategic pivot ahead of time and some businesses will do that, but usually very few do. And it's, it takes a forced pivot to force someone over that, you know, take, your photo business, for example, you, you, you mentioned how many people went out of business. Well, what primarily did that? It was the advent of the cell phone. You know, suddenly you have a camera in your hand as part of your phone. And most people aren't able to respond to that successfully. You can see that across industries right now. People are thinking, man, how do I keep my business in business? Let's build on this point because now you moved over from that. You moved over now to what is Lux now. So this is kind of a great segue to the other question I had for you. You know, you transitioned over to CEO of Lux now. It's a luxury travel platform primarily an online business. So that's obviously one of the big pivots. Brick and mortar by nature has just seen a massive decrease, you know, whether it's retail, whatever it is, Amazon being the king disruptor, the death star. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Uh, Across the board, I mean, brick and mortar by and large has taken a big hit over the years. So obviously a big shift to online. So talk a little bit about, you know, from your leadership management perspective, what are the big changes in that? You know, what has that learning curve been like for you? If you don't mind, just I'd love to hear your perspective on this. Yeah. So, I mean, when I was at uh, my uh, the electronics company, when I was at Unique, we obviously had online presence. You know, we were also selling online. And I'm a tech guy. I've built tech, you know, my whole life. So for me, being in a luxury field and being in tech, was it was a very natural transition to this company. What I will say is that we're in the luxury travel business and COVID is it's the most affect the travel business is the most affected by COVID. I just saw unemployment rate is the highest in the leisure and hospitality. It's almost oh, 30% yeah. it's been pummeled, running right now. Pummeled. So I pivoted, I pivoted into a business that actually is most affected. But from a business model perspective, the founders of LuxNow started in a brick and mortar business. They actually had luxury retail showrooms, so to say, where you could go in and you would see a Ferrari or Lamborghini, or they would have access to a luxury home and you'd be able to rent it right there. But the only way to scale that business was for them to buy more inventory. 
You had to keep buying inventory at risk and so on. Now we move to the gig economy, the marketplace economy. Lux now is a marketplace. We have people who own luxury assets like homes and autos and yachts. They come, they list their properties just like Airbnb. And on the other side, you have renters looking for luxury. And we're solving the problem of the fact that it's very, very hard to find luxury as you travel. You know, no platform, no institution, no company specializes in this. So the internet, the internet business, the gig economy, marketplace economy, whatever you want to call it, is actually perfect for something like this. So even though we're a little bit hurt right now, because obviously people can't fly, they can't do a, they can't do a lot of things very easily, eventually this will be the way that travel is done. This is the way that you operate. It's a business that really is a service layered on top of technology which to me is really what the future is about. Yeah, it's a great comment, really, because it's a win-win for so many people involved. You've got the one group on one hand that owns the asset. you got the other group on the other hand who doesn't have the supply, but there's the demand. So those two groups of people come together, and you see that in Airbnb. Uber completely disrupted Yellow Cab, as an example. So it's a great concept. Well, <laughs> so you, you mentioned COVID. Not an easy time to necessarily be in that because airline, the travel, everything that goes along with that. So it, it can't be easy leading a platform focused on luxury travel during this pandemic shutdown. So how have you approached that challenge? You know, we just got done talking earlier about pivots and adjustments. And mm -hmm. what have you been thinking about? What's been on your mind as, as you've thought about the challenges that you face now? And then, of course, going forward. So this is what I always tell everybody when you're in a business. The biggest mistakes in business are always made by inaction. Not by doing something. Sure, we all make mistakes when we take action, but your rate of mistake is much higher when you just kind of sit there. When COVID came down, I just sort of looked at it. And once, once they started saying, you know, we may be doing some shutdowns, I'm like, uh-oh, right? I thought of travel. I thought of people packed in planes. I saw the cruise industry, which supplies a lot of people into tourism, taking such a big hit. I said, okay, we need to gear this company for lean low cost operation, and we need to see what happens. So I like immediately jumped out of our lease so that we all moved and where I was, had our company working from home at least a week and a half, two weeks before they mandatory made everybody work at home. I had immediately reduced advertising costs, reduced a lot of discretionary expenses, did a lot of things that put us so that we didn't get behind the eight ball. We didn't get too far behind. We set up communication. I had my staff working from home. As soon as we, I realized that the shutdown was going to be for a longer period of time, I turned to my tech team. We immediately went full out work to replace our website. The website needed a replacement. It was sort of like a placeholder. It needed a replacement, and I couldn't do that if we were booking a lot of business. So I was able to quickly pivot and put resources into there. We launched the new website actually about two and a half weeks ago because we worked on it while there was very little business. We reduced our expenses. In fact, I just saw my P&L here. Let's do some CEO stuff. I saw my P&L. I look like a friggin' genius because we actually showed a profit last month because I have reduced expenses so much, even though our bookings were very low, we have put our company in a position where we can continue on. Makes me look like a G. I'm not. It's just one of those things where <laughs> I've just been on the earth for like so many, many decades that I just knew that we had to take the more drastic measures. And so that's really my point. When you sense crisis like that, just sitting and waiting, almost always, an, and always a mistake, 
always leads in. So I jumped in and took very, very aggressive action. And I put us in a case where we're going to be able to weather this, continue to build that marketplace and platform slowly. And then when COVID ends, we are going to be ready to roll really quickly and we won't have burned up all of our resources and money. Yeah, that's fabulous. You're about to get me to go on a diatribe of uh, uh, things, but I'm going to resist that temptation because <laughs> uh, I love everything that you just said. And I've seen this coming for years, whether it was in the form of COVID or something else. There's a book called The Fourth Turning and many others. And, you know, we could talk about this, I'm sure, for a long time and all of our opinions that goes along with it. But I love what you just said there about getting lean, getting focused, reducing overhead, getting low debt structure. I just hear people out there that say, you know, I'm going to maximize my leverage to maximize my reach. You know, we're going to move into this big new building. And I'm just thinking, man, that's great as long as things are great. But things aren't always going to be great. So as a business leader, man, I totally agree with you. You've got to be thinking about, it's not just the top line, it's the bottom line, it's the profitability. You know, the cost control is as important as, as the top line revenue. So anyway. You know what, pivot that to personal, to people too. When you're in a situation where your income looks like it's going to decrease, cut your expenses. Oh yeah. Don't get that credit card bill that you like, you look at that's like you're going to give you a heart attack. Yeah, going out and buying a brand new iPhone when... You don't have any current income. <laughs> Not the thing that, again, here, you're, you're lulling me in here to go down this, uh, this path. Credit card debt, everything else, eliminate debt, savings, buy certain assets to protect against hyperinflation, deflation, so many things we could talk about. But yep. uh, all principles that are good, Matt. You brought up some things that are important for all of us to think about. So as we get ready to wrap this up, if you wouldn't mind doing me a favor, I'd love to hear from your perspective. You know, all through life, you mentioned I've been around for decades. And, and so we all learn a lot of life lessons as we continue to get older. What are one or two of your biggest lessons learned across the spectrum? Business, personal, relationships, you know, anything's on the table, spiritual, whatever. What are one or two of your biggest lessons learned throughout your life? I think I'm, I'll diverge a little since you really let me say what I want to say. What I learned is that no matter how tough things get. If you just have a little bit of faith, whether you believe in God, whether you believe in the universe or whatever, you made it to this point in life. God willing, you're not starving. You're alive. You're functioning. Whatever will happen will pass. Just do the right things and you'll come out more successfully on the other hand. But have confidence that everything that happens is only, it's really only a temporary circumstance. Everything passes eventually. And the other piece of advice that I would give really relates to relationships. You know, I said, work hard, want it badly enough, and all of those things, that leads to success. But I think something that we tend to overlook is our relationships. And a broadest statement that I can say is that every relationship you have should be adding value to your life. And if it isn't, end the relationship. Because bad relationships bring you that bad karma that ensure that you will not be successful. Every single mistake that I have made in my life is connected to a bad relationship of some kind. And this applies to business and in person. So my biggest life advice, I tell it to my five kids, is make sure that everybody you allow into your life, whether it's casual, serious, romantic, business, whatever it is, make sure they are positive people adding something positive to your life. Simple as that. That's great. You know, relationships, there's a couple books written on this. I know you already know this. Just as a reminder for all of us. Relationships is the single greatest predictor of longevity. And so I don't think it should be lost on any of us, no matter what our pursuits are. You know, again, not to get into becoming your best or our content, I want to stay focused on you, but 
having roles and goals and a vision and doing pre-week planning and some of these powerful things are what will help us maintain that balance of success stories, you know, whether it's in the relationships or whatever other area of our life. So I love that comment, Matt. It's a good reminder for everyone to really focus in and hone in on, on what matters most. So as we get ready to wrap this up, uh, Matt, thanks for your thoughts. Great thoughts, great things to reflect on. I know that our listeners will appreciate having you on our podcast. How could people find out more about you? Okay, I'm easy. Since I've been around for decades, early adopter of social media, I am at M Sweetwood everywhere, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. My website is msweetwood.com and Lux now is L-U-X-N-O-W.com. Go get yourself a Lamborghini or a yacht and have a great time. <laughs> awesome. Love that advice. Yeah, go take your wife or her husband on a date. There you go. That's a good one. <laughs> that would be fun. And where are you? Are you in New York? Matt, where are you at? I was uh, 50-something years in New York and New Jersey. Now I am in Miami, the heart of luxury. It's a perfect place to headquarters a company like Lux Now. Oh, that is perfect for Lux Now. And, and right now you got some nice, beautiful weather there. A little warm, I'm but beautiful. At the, uh, looking at the ocean and thinking about that pool and 80 degrees I'm about to go enjoy. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, Matt. Been great visiting with you. And to all of our listeners, we appreciate you. You're the reason we keep doing these podcasts. And again, just how we start, I'm going to finish. Reminder to go to becomingyourbest.com. Take that personal productivity assessment. It's great to see your own feedback. And we love collecting this data and this research uh, that we'll continue to share in the future that will have a big impact. So, Matt, thank you so much for your thoughts on the show. We appreciate you. And to everyone, we hope you have a wonderful and a fabulous week. Thank you for listening. Would you like help to apply the 12 principles of highly successful leaders in your life, in your family, or in your organization? Call us today at 888-690-8764 to speak with a helpful representative to evaluate your situation and how we can help. Or you can visit becomingyourbest.com. Whether it's a corporate training event, keynote, workshop, trainer certification, or personal coaching, it would be our pleasure to serve your needs. Once again, call 888-690-8764 or visit becomingyourbest.com today.